This is Demetrius Booth, known as the Lighthouse, constantly shining light into darkness, and you are listening to the Shadows Podcast. Howdy dowdy, Shadowites. Wait, John, do they even call themselves that? Mm, I don't know, Kirk, but they should. John, the commercial. Right. How many more times are you going to invest $5 in heated bean juice only to fizzle out faster than your New Year's resolution? Trust us, we've been there. During our days running 24-hour operations, the struggle was real. That's why, as veterans, we decided to create the game changer that we wish we had. Sisu Stamina Energy Chews. Designed with precision. And science. Sisu Stamina is your take-anywhere, do-anything fuel that provides immediate, smooth energy, razor focus, and compounding health benefits, all for about a buck a serving. Head over to ULAUniverse.com. Use Shadows 10 at checkout to save site-wide so you can conquer your shadows today and forge a brighter tomorrow. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Before you enjoy the episode of the Shadows Podcast Bowl with John Janata, we have a couple of announcements. Stay tuned for our version of March Madness when we bring to you special rebound episodes. We've already announced two guests. March 1st, be prepared to laugh, think, and cry. Is Jamie Valvano, the daughter of the charismatic and legendary men's basketball coach from North Carolina State, Jim Valvano, sat down with me to celebrate his life, to share her remarkable battle she overcame to defeat breast cancer. Then on March 8th, Jeff Fryer. All right, so I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Shadows Podcast. I am your host, Trip Bodenheimer. I just want to go ahead and let you know if you haven't already done so, head over to Facebook at The Shadows Podcast. Give us a like over there and then go over to Instagram, The underscore Shadows underscore podcast. Give us a follow over there. We have a bunch of uh, exclusive content, quotes, books, suggestions, all kinds of good stuff for personal professional development that we usually plug over on the Instagram page. So make sure you go over there and follow us. Before we get started, I'm joined today by my co-host, Jonathan Batista. Batista, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, everybody? Really excited about this one. I'm uh, going to speak with John Janata. Uh, me and John, we met at MVP, uh, which is called Merging Vets and Players. It's a program out there. And then we did recently just did a trip to Chicago together where he was my roommate and uh, tired firefighter. So, yeah. so I'm really excited to have you here. You know, I got to hear your story. We definitely got to uh, talk a lot during that trip, learned a lot about you. And I just knew you were the perfect person to have on this podcast. So thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you. So sir, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Upbringing was raised in uh, suburb of Chicago. My father was a Marine wounded in Peleliu, but died when I was two. Uh, raised by a single mother and a brother nine years older than me. Um, we lived there till I was 14, and then we moved to Vegas. My mother remarried uh, another guy who was a Army veteran, also wounded in the Pacific, shot in the leg. And uh, so I've, I've grown up with a long history of military veterans. I had a, a uncle, my mom's brother, a younger brother, served in the Air Force for 20 years. Retired out in Ellis, and that's how we ended up uh, coming out here. She wanted to be around family. And so in 75, we moved to Vegas, went to high school, Bonanza High School out here. Uh, still called Vegas home while I was in college. Went to junior college in California for two years, then picked up on scholarship by the University of Illinois. Then uh, signed as a free agent with the Bears. 
out of Illinois as an offensive lineman. Uh, played there a year, got injured, um, set out a year, re-signed with Tampa, uh, went down there, got injured in training camp, was scheduled to start the third preseason game, and uh, broke my elbow. And instead of sitting out for six, eight weeks, letting it heal, they just told me it was a sprain. Uh, same, I also tore a ligament in my wrist. And, uh, but neither of them healed after going through a full season of practicing. And so that was that. But in the meantime, between the Bears and Tampa, I took a test for a fire department in Chicago suburb, found out I was, they were going to hire me in January. So I stuck around um, rather than come back to Vegas, stuck around Chicago and 30 years, five months later, retired from the fire department. Not that I was counting and then uh, swore I was going to leave as soon as I retired, get out of the cold. My girlfriend kind of delayed that a little bit because she couldn't retire right away. Um, but when she was able to retire, we moved back to Vegas, somewhere I swore I would never go back to. Um, my brother tried to get me on the fire department out here. He was a fireman out here. And uh, I'm like, Frank, I don't want to live in Vegas. My niece, oh, Uncle John, be nice if you moved out here after you retired. I'm like, eh, sorry, Kim, never going to happen. And she kept sending me pictures of her babies. And one thing led to another. Gotcha. And here I am. Back in Vegas, loving it actually. Hey, we're so, we're now for the better. Yep, yes, it did. So there's a lot to unpack based off your incredible story that you just ran through. So in high school, you were you were a pretty big sophomore, right? Six foot seven. Six foot seven, but only about two hundred pounds. Okay. Actually, my sophomore year, probably only about one hundred and eighty pounds. Oh wow! You played basketball in high school as well, right? I did. In fact, that the guys used to tease me, John, don't stand on the lines. We can't see you. You blend in. Too <laughs> were you, but, uh, uh, were you being recruited by anybody for basketball or football coming out of high school? No, I, I only played up until my, uh, um, junior year and our, I made varsity my end of my sophomore year. They moved me up for the playoffs. And then, uh, my junior year made varsity and our coach kind of thought he was uh, Bobby Knight. And I, you know, I didn't mind. I played with football coaches that were like that, you know, the you know, in your face, spitting, you know, kind of thing. But basketball, I played for fun. And when he made it not fun anymore, I'm like, you know, what? I'm done with this. So, you know, I, I did it to stay in shape for football. I mean, at, at one point, I actually did love basketball more than football. But I, I read the handwriting on the wall. I mean, uh, you know, uh, slow white guys that can't jump don't don't make it in the NBA. So uh, I concentrated on football, bulking up, adding more weight, and uh, that became my, my go-to sport. I think what you said right there can resonate with a lot of people, too, because I know for me uh, and, and people that, you know, Batista and I've interacted with is that you get people even in the military who are passionate. They got so much pride when they first join, and then they get that leader, that supervisor that just makes them absolutely hate it. And they yeah. say, I hate my job. I hate the Air Force, they get it so misconstrued, but it's all because they got someone that, that takes that spark out. Yeah. Um, so you ended up transferring over to University of Illinois, fighting Illini. You were first, what, defensive end? You switched over to offensive line? I did. I played uh, defensive end through junior college, was recruited as defensive end in Illinois. And for the same reason, I gave up basketball. I gave up the defensive end because there was no need in the NFL for slow white defensive ends. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I made the transition my senior year. Probably should have redshirted, sat out a year, gave me additional time to learn the position. But um, I was 
I was not what you would call an exceptional student back then. I was majoring <laughs> in football and couldn't wait to get out of there and, you know, take my shot at the NFL. So, like I said, I, I made the switch, never looked back, and, you know, glad I did. You got a bidding war between the Bears and the Raiders, and how ironic is that? Now you're in Vegas, and the Raiders followed you over there. Well, I mean, if you believe in destiny, my destiny was actually play for the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, there were so many signposts that said Raiders, Raiders, Raiders. Um, I fit their stereotypical offensive lineman, tall, rangy, um, pass block. You know, I could pass block coming from Illinois with Tony East, who was my quarterback, who the Bears eventually beat in the Super Bowl. Um, and uh, they had drafted, and I always forget his name, but drafted a first-round tackle. Um, same year I came out as a free agent. Well, he didn't tell anybody, but he had major back surgery two weeks before the, or a week before the draft. And so they were like, and back then you got to understand back surgery was like, that's it. The guy's going to be a cripple. He'll never play again. Mm -hmm. And so they were in a panic to hire somebody. So I'm sitting in Hallis Hall, which is where the Bears uh, headquarters were. And uh, my agent's on the phone and he's like, John, I'm on the phone with the Raiders. They will double whatever the Bears are offering. And as a kid growing up in Chicago with Walter Payton and Gail Sears and, and Dick yeah. Buckus posters hanging on my wall until high school, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Chance to play in front of my family, which, you know, playing from you know, Illinois, that was one of the big draws was uh, my defensive line coach at Illinois promised me, I always forget what the numbers were, but he promised me a chance to play Big Ten ball, chance to go to the Rose Bowl, make me the best defensive end I could ever be. And by the time I left there, I'd hate his guts. He fulfilled every one of those promises. I got, I got to be the best defensive end I could ever be, but it wasn't, I knew it wasn't going to be good enough to get in the NFL. Um, got to play in front of my family. Oh, that was what else he promised, a chance to play in front of my family. At the time, Big Ten and, and Pac-10 were the only teams allowed to go to the Rose Bowl. So the other schools recruited me, TCU, Fresno, uh, all the California state schools, Hawaii, None of them, you know, had an opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl. So, um, and then, yes, by the time I left there, I did hate his guts. And that was another reason I made the switch from defensive end to offensive tackle. Were you on that, Liberty, were you on that Liberty Bowl team with Illinois? I was. Hey, John. Yeah, that was uh, Bear Bryant's last game. Yeah, yep. John. It was on Mouthpieces Sports 1 on YouTube. Yeah. And you were talking about Walter Payton and uh, how you were having a bad day. Can you give us that story? You want to, you want to hear that story? All right goes back to my very first day of training camp. I'm going against a guy named Mike Hartenstein. Now, Mike Hartenstein didn't get the notoriety that Richard Dent, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, the fridge did, because he was just a workhorse. Um, not flashy or anything like that, but the guy gave 120% every time. His big claim to fame was he lifted like 300,000 pounds of weights a day. Um, and if, why they added it up, because you know he was in the weight room all day long. So the Strength coach is like, yeah, we got to figure this out. But very first day of training camp, I'm wearing shorts. And we're only wearing shorts and a helmet, and I'm going against him trying to pass block him. And it's supposed to be a half-speed drill, just walk through stuff. And he's going 120%, like I said, like he does every day of practice. And I'm doing everything I can to try and keep him out, including holding him, almost tackling him. And he's like, uh, he's like, you better quit holding me. You can rookie, you know, better quit can hold me. And I'm like, I'm going to get cut my very first day of minicamp. I mean, this is ridiculous. 
And so after a couple more times of me, you know, basically tackling them, we start fighting and, and, you know, we got helmets on so nobody gets hurt. You know, we're punching each other in the helmet, which is always kind of stupid. Um, but uh, they break us up and, and probably helped make me help me to make the team because they saw I had, you know, some balls going up against this guy. I mean, he, he was literally an animal. I mean, <laughs> but uh, that set the tone for the entire season. At least once a week, him and I would get in a knockdown drag out fight. So fast forward to second to, or last week of the season, and we're going at it again, and he's having a bad day, and start, we start fighting again. And But I'm like, you know, it's the last week of the season, second last week of the season, whatever. You know, I proved myself. What the hell? You know, it, it, we're not going in. We're not going to the Super Bowl. You know, why the hell is this guy working so hard? And uh, But that's just the way he was. So we walk in the locker room afterwards, and I'm kind of dejected. You know, got my head hanging. And so I had to walk right by Walt's locker, and he's like, hey, Rook, come here. And I'm like, well, I'm not in the mood. He was a practical joker, notorious practical yeah. joker. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm not in the mood. He goes, come here. I want to talk to you. I'm like, I, I kind of like walk over, like, you know, when your dad calls you over. And I'm like, what? He goes, sit down. And well, all we had were these, you know, these little round eight-inch bench, you know, stools. Yeah. And everybody was sitting on there. So I go, there's nowhere to sit. So he taps his leg and says, sit. Well, you know, when Walter Payton tells you to do something, you you know, you kind of do it. So I sit on his lap, probably, I don't know, the only grown man that probably ever sat on his lap. And he puts his arm around me. He goes, hey, don't think we haven't been paying attention. You know, you've been standing up to Mikey all year long and, and doing good. He goes, hang in there. He goes, good things are going to happen for you. And uh, I was like kind of taken aback because I was expecting, you know, some kind of joke or something. And I'm still kind of waiting for the punchline. And he's like, that's all gone. <laughs> Go back to your locker now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, and I was like, wow, that was pretty cool. You know, he didn't have to do that. And uh, so, yeah, that, and I, I tell that story at, at, as Jonathan said, mouthpiece sports. Uh, I don't even know if they're still around, but they were doing uh, uh, interviews at uh, a function. We were all at one, one year, got to be 10 years or longer ago. So that's just one of my one of my Walter stories. I'm trying to picture like six foot seven you sitting on his lap like Santa Claus. Yeah, um, six foot seven, two five <laughs> at the time. Yeah. <laughs> with that Bears team, that's you know, uh, you ended up like you said signing with the Bears. I, I want to do a little bit of of word association. I save kind of my rapid fire <laughs> questions for right here. And if you have a really good story like that one for any of these people, by all means, please okay. share. Mike Dicka. Um, intense. intense. You just want one word responses? We can try to keep it one, but if you got a okay. story, please. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the stories afterwards if we okay. got time. But yeah, very in intense. Jim McMahon. Cool. Team. Confidence. Uh, great leader. Walter Payton. Super cool guy. Greatest running back to ever play the game. I agree with you 100% on that. Now, some of these uh, defensive players had a beast of a defensive line there. Dan Hampton. Uh, farm boy strong, had moves that unbelievable. I mean, you, you think you were going to bury him, put him on his back, and next thing you know, you're laying on your back, and he's he's wrapping up the quarterback. I, to this day, I don't know how he did it. Richard Dent. Super fast. When he decided he was going to blow by it, there wasn't a damn thing you could do. Mike Singletary. Again, intense. But he'd, he'd knock your helmet off, 
and knock you on your ass, but he'd be standing right over you to, to take your hand to pick you, pick you up. Sportsman, a great sportsman, and uh, another super cool guy. A uh, couple more. Otis Wilson. Otis Wilson was great. One of the best athletes they had, overall athletes we had. I used to play off-season basketball with him. Um, great athlete and, and great football player. Another good guy trying to make his way. Um, and we always had individual position meetings or offensive meetings and watch film separately. But a couple times we'd, they'd make us watch film as a team. And the first time I did, Buddy Ryan, defensive coordinator, is sitting there going, 99, good play. 50, eh, you could do better. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy doesn't even know his players' names. And But it was just easier for him to just call out yeah. the numbers because that's what you saw on the screen. And, yeah, first-round draft pick, Wilbur Marshall, he was just 58, I believe, was his number, just another number to Buddy Ryan. You know, you had, you had to earn your bones before uh, – He'd show you any respect. So I really didn't didn't get to know him that well. I was going to ask about Buddy Ryan next. I, I'm a I've, I grew up my entire life. I've been a Cardinals fan. Okay. And I remember when he signed on as head coach of the. They were I think the Phoenix Cardinals at the time. He was like a winner's in town now. Yeah. Um, two more. <laughs> William Perry. Again, uh, he came after me. In fact, yeah, if you want to you want to win a bar bet um, with somebody that claims to be a big Bear fan. Tell them they don't know. You'll bet them anything that they don't know who wore 72 before the fridge. Mm. And then, uh, well, actually, actually, we, we have a, Batista has a late edition, but I got one and then I'm going to throw it to him to ask you one as well. Okay. Uh, I, I saved this one for last because I've heard stories about this one. Steve McMichael. Um, complete lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what you saw, I mean, he used to do a uh, after game show with one of the sportscasters and he'd, he'd dump beer on them and, and, hit him in the face with whipped cream pies and, and crazy stuff. And that was not an act Then he got into big time wrestling after he retired and he yeah. didn't have to act. I mean, he, that was him. Best story I've got is Steve McMichael. Now the relationship I had with Mike Hartenstein, he had the same thing with Mark Bortz, who is a guard mm -hmm. and they would go at it every week. And so again, this is getting close to the end of the season and we actually had to move our practices to a public park because our fields were all beat up from, from practicing. And he's yelling at Bortz, Bortz, you better quit holding me. You better quit holding me. Well, the next play, Bortz must have held him again. Now, McMichael was probably 275. Bortz was probably at least that. McMichael picks him up, body slams him like a big-time wrestling move. Yeah. Only Bortz isn't cooperating. You know, he just, he picked him up, body slammed him, put his foot on his chest, grabbed his face mask, and with one motion, ripped the face mask off. Now that's four eighth inch, probably eight, eight inch, eighth of an inch bolts that he just tore this face mask off, like took a look at it, like, and then threw it back at him. Like, yeah, I meant to do that. <laughs> now, Ted Plum was a receiver coach and, you know, we're all standing back watching this. He turns around uh, the group of us that were standing there and goes, is that the closest thing you've ever seen to a Neanderthal? And I mean, it, it was just, and I told that story for years, the guys I played with at Illinois and different people. Well, my fullback in Illinois ran into McMichael at a, a Bears game, tailgating. Yeah. And McMichael walked by and they're like, hey, Steve, come over, have a beer with us. So he did, came over with a beer and they're talking this and that. And so, uh 
my fullback goes to him. He goes, uh, uh, Mike Murphy was his name. He goes, Steve, let me ask you one question. Did you ever rip off somebody's face mask? He said, yeah, 1983, Mark Bortz in practice. And he goes, he knew, he knew. And I'm like, well, of course he knew. You think he did that every week? Uh, you know, that, that it probably caught him just as off guard as, as anybody. But, you know, um, yeah, he was he was just he – he was another one like Hartenstein that just never went half speed, was never, yeah. never gave you a day off. If you were lining up against him, you knew you were going to uh, have a hard practice. Luckily, I was playing tackle and, and didn't, he didn't have to line up against so much for me. Um, and even I did play some backup center as well. But then, you know, with the 4-2 defense, I only, I had only had, uh, only had uh, Singletary to worry about. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's, that, like that's a walk in the park. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story about uh with Mongo McMichael and that is yeah. his nickname. Ming was another one. Ming the Merciless from uh, old uh, um, um, science fiction. Yeah, what was that show? That was a TV show. Um, you could the spaceships. You could still see the strings with them when they would. Oh, uh, Star Trek. Ones. No, no, even older than Star Trek. Um, Flash Gordon. Mm, Flash Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ming the Merciless. Mongo um yeah so and that was you know mongo was the one from uh blazing saddles where alex Karras punches the horse you know what it was maybe it's got to be 10 years or so ago um here, here give you an idea okay my my second training camp with the bears yeah I'm, we're all struggling well not those guys but we're struggling to make the team and I'm blocking a, another rookie defensive end one-on-one -on -one pass drill and he starts to get by me so I cut him cut his legs it would, um, I ended up blowing out his knee um, right away. Hampton and uh, McMichael, good old Southern boys, one from Texas, one from Arkansas. You, that's a cheap shot. You, you know, you clipped them, you know, this and that, you know, you Yankee clipper. And so that became my nickname for the rest of training camp. Now this is 1984. And so we watched the film and, uh, you know, Dick Stanfield was my coach. He had got his, I think his larynx crushed when he played for the Detroit Lions back in the 40s or 50s. So he kind of talked like this. You know, that was a clean block. You, you, your head was in front of him. You, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so fast forward 2006, 32 years. I, when I got cut by Tampa, I had to read about it in the Sun-Times, washed my hands with the NFL, wanted nothing to do with them. So for 20 years, I barely even watch games. And um, I get something in the mail for the NFL alumni, call them up, and they're like, yeah, we do a golf outing. We're a 501c3 charitable organization, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, yeah, sign me up. And so I show up at this first golf outing. Well, there's Stan Hampton, Steve McMichael, Kurt Becker, uh, Jim McMahon. Um, you know, a bunch of guys standing around in a circle. Well, I walk up and Kurt Becker's like, JJ, that was my other nickname. JJ, where have you been? How come you never come to any of the events? I'm like, I didn't know you guys do them, blah, blah, blah. And I go to shake McMichael's hand. He's like, well, 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 if it ain't the Yankee Clipper. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What's it, 30 years? I go, you guys don't forget. He goes, we're from the South. Boy, we don't ever forget nothing. <laughs> So, but anyhow, getting back to him. So, yeah, even after all that time, he was still a nut. But then, like I said, about 10 years ago, all of a sudden he's like, hey, John, you know, this and that. And I'm like, who are you and what would you do with Steve? 
And uh, so I asked somebody, I go, is it just me or is Steve mellowing? He goes, yeah, ever since he had his baby, uh, he's, he's become more mellow. And, you know, he could still, he could still turn it on a little bit, yeah. but uh, you know, when the cameras were rolling or whatever, but yeah, he had, he had come back down to earth and, and you came more of a, a humanoid type type yeah. creature instead <laughs> of a, a Mongo. So here, I got your last one for you, John. Um, okay. And I don't want you to think about it too long. All right. Okay. So, First word comes to mind. I think, I think I've done pretty good. I don't think I've taken yeah. too long. No, no, That's no. Good. John Janata. <laughs> most most overrated player on the bears um you know <laughs> i don't know just i caught a break the first year making the team dicka was looking for new guys talent guys that were hard working um and that you know i i busted my ass and then he wanted they expected me to bulk up you know they wanted me to put on 20 pounds which i did but you don't put 20 pounds on in a year and, and not lose some quickness and speed. And so my second year when I came back, um, there's, there's other stories about Ditka and Stanfell. Um, I backed up Jumbo Culver um, and well, and Keith Van Horn. But unfortunately for me, Jimbo Culver, you know, was going to go on to be a all pro hall of fame. And we both, I made, had the misfortune of signing the same year they drafted him in the first round. So, but 1984, we're in training camp and they've been on me all, all camp. Janata, you got to get faster. You got to get faster. It's like, you know, like I could just take a pill and, and get faster. And so we're watching film and I'm in there for, you know, covert and I'm pulling around, around the end. And, uh, first time it was, um, Ditka and he's like, Oh, and it was the, set the story up there. It was going to be between me and Rob Feta, who was a guard, were they going to keep four tackles and three guards or three guards and four tackles. And so uh, Rob sitting right next to me in the film and he played with covert at Pittsburgh and uh, Dick is like, now that's it, Jimbo. That's the way you get around that corner. That's the kind of speed we're talking about. Well, all the guys knew that they were on my ass all year long. So Jimbo, trying to throw me a bone and not take credit for something that wasn't him goes, uh, coach, that's Janata. Just like that. It goes, damn it, Janata. How many times we tell you, you got to get faster. And everybody in the room was just sort of like, what the hell just happened? Well, a little bit later on in the film studies, same thing. All right, Jimbo, that good play. Uh, coach, that's Janata again. Damn it, Janata. How many times you got to, we got to tell you to get faster. That was Stanfell. I turned to Fada, who was sitting next to me. I said, oh, congratulations. Looks like you just made the team. And uh, he did. I didn't. And that's just the way, you know, it's just the way it goes. You know, when they say it's a numbers game, four tackles, three guards, three guards, four tackles. Um, the year before, it was offensive linemen or DBs and linebackers. Mm -hmm. When I was a senior at Illinois, they couldn't keep an offensive line healthy. I think in, in the 16-game season, they didn't have the starting same starting offensive line the whole time. And so when I had a chance to sign with them, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. They, their offensive line is so bad. I, there's no way I won't make the team. And so that year, they kept an extra tackle, extra guard. And they sacrificed a linebacker and a DB. Well, in case you probably haven't figured it out, linemen don't make great cover guys on punts and kickoffs. So, but if you're not starting, you got to play special teams. Yep. And so that's where I 
spent most of my rookie year was playing special teams. But again, you know, I mean, I was the second fastest guy besides Kurt Becker on the offensive line, but that still doesn't translate into a good cover guy for kickoffs and stuff. So um, they decided, you know, Jumbo Covert, you know, basically offensive line, Jay Hilgenberg, Jumbo Covert, Keith Van Horn, Bortz, Becker played healthy the whole year. So they, they were like, all right. And then we got some good backups. They drafted a couple guards, um, one that could play tackle. And they're like, okay, we don't need to keep as many um, linemen. And they kept an extra uh, DB, extra uh, linebacker. And, you know, they had drafted Marshall and uh, um, I always forget the other guy in the first round. He was still coaching the NFL. Um, but anyhow, you know, two first round uh, linebacker picks. So, yeah, the handwriting was on the wall that I wasn't going to be around much longer. And, yeah, you went to Tampa, kind of finished out your, your NFL run there. You got to rock one of the awesome creamsicle jerseys uh, <laughs> with Tampa. You ended with Tampa. And then tell us about your journey after you finished professional football. Like I said, I, I took a test for a fire department in between the Bears and Tampa. In fact, my arm was in a sling. I had elbow surgery. And so I went for the oral interview. Um, my arm was in a sling, and they were asking me about it. You know, like, is that going to be long-term? Anything that affect you from being a fireman, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no. Um, no, like 800 guys showed up to take the test. They said, maybe we'll hire 10 or 12 guys. Um, yeah, we might get to the 12th guy on the list by the end of the three years um, through attrition, but that's probably it. I was like 20, I don't know, low twenties or something. I'm like, all right, well, it was a good experience. So I got cut by Tampa. I was actually out in Vegas for the summer, um, re-injured my elbow, called them up and said, uh, called up Tampa, said, Hey, you know, I think I might've tweaked something. Uh, who can I see out here? They're like, I'll just go see anybody send us the bill. Well, they got on the phone. Trainer got on the phone with the head coach that Janata hurt his elbow again. Coach said, cut him. And so two days later, I'm at my cousin's wedding. And well, actually that morning, I'm out to breakfast with a buddy of mine. He's like, hey, uh, did happen to read the sports section this morning? I'm like, no, why? What's it say? He goes, oh, you're going to want to read this. I go, just, I'm not going to read the whole sports section. Just tell me what's important. So after a couple back and forth, he goes, all right. Um, and there were like five or six names on there. But the two I remember, because the other one was an offensive lineman, uh, one of the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers Super Bowl players, but it's like uh, Tampa Bay way, blah, 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 Steve Corson and John Janata. And I'm like, haha, really funny. Here, read it yourself. Slides of paper across the table. I read it and, you know, didn't, couldn't even give me a call. So, um, you know, I called him up. Serious? You think I want to play in this league? I'm done. And uh, I've never, I've never put on a uniform in the NFL again. In fact, when the Bears, uh, when the strike season happened and the Bears called me up and asked if I'd come back and play for them, I uh, told them I'm retired and hung the phone up on them. Um, but uh, so uh, I got hired by the fire department. Um, and oh, <laughs> so I went to my cousin's wedding and Half the people had seen it in the paper, half the people hadn't. Well, the ones that hadn't seen it are coming up to me going, hey, John, how's it look for this year? Are you going to make the team? Well, I don't want to, you know, make it about me and ruin my cousin's wedding. So I'm like, well, you never know. It's a numbers game. Well, the ones that heard me say this are like, I wonder, doesn't he know? You know, how come he's not, 
whatever. So, you know, I found all this out after the fact, you know, days later when they were like, yeah, we were wondering how come you, you didn't say anything. And uh, so anyhow, I called up the fire department. I had to figure out if I was going back to Vegas, going back down to Tampa. I, there was really nothing to take me back down to Tampa, except it was a great place to live. Um, but no, no employment hit, uh, future and then or stay in Chicago. And so I called up the department and said, you know, I'm John Janata, uh, work, just checking to see where I'm at on the list. If there's any chance I'll get hired before it expires. And they're like, hold on, we'll look. Oh, yeah, um, we were planning on calling you in January. Well, this is like August. So I'm like, or July or August. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, I guess I'm staying in Chicago. And so um, got hired there, um, spent six years with that department. Um, had to go through a paramedic program, hated it. So ended up leaving, going to another department where I didn't have to be a paramedic and spent the remainder of my uh, uh, 30 years, five months and two weeks with that department. I'll put the timeline out for you and then you can fill in the blanks. Okay. Sure. So uh, one question I asked you was, and it's always an inevitable question that comes up, right? When you tell someone you're a firefighter and I think you know what's coming. I asked you, yeah. uh, what was your craziest call? And then one call you mentioned that stood out to me was uh, SIDS and then how that led to PTSD. And then the great thing about having you is it, you're part of MVP with me, right? Emerging yeah. best players. So can you explain how, what SIDS is, first of all, so people know how, it, how you got PTSD from it and how you are now talking about your PTSD with merging vets and players and how it's helping veterans and players uh, go through their struggles? Sure. Um, well, SIDS, first of all, is Southern Infant Death Syndrome. Um, they don't really know why, uh, but sometimes... Um, Children are found in their cribs. They, there's been theories that they suffocate because they sleep down. You know, for a while, they said put the baby sleep down on their stomachs to sleep, then they put them on their back to sleep, and back and forth. That I still don't. I mean, I'm so far removed from the EMS system, but um, as far as I know, they still don't have a definitive reason for it. But you know, it's just a horrible thing because you know, then parents deal with the guilt forever about could I have done something different? Should I have been checking on them more often? That kind of thing. Um, and then as far as the, the PTSD, well, there were actually twice I, I, I suffered from it. The first time was with the first department, being a paramedic and um, dealing with just horrendous types of death and, and injuries and, and stuff. And no, back then there was no um, type of peer counseling or, or uh, post-traumatic stress uh, debriefing. Yeah, nothing like that. It's, you know, it's like, the old football days, you know, you get hurt, rub dirt on it. You know, there's no crying in football. There's no crying in the fire department. Um, you know, we'd, we'd see decapitations. We'd see trains, um, you know, destroy human body. And we'd go back to a firehouse, sit down and finish our lunch or our dinner. And, you know, we had what we call gallows humor. You and I talked about, you know, most, most of the stuff we talked about uh, wouldn't be fit for, you know, public consumption. But it was our way of kind of dealing with the horrific things we saw. So I was dealing with PTSD that time. I ended up leaving that department, going to the other department. And uh, stress and PTSD for you know, uh, those listening that are dealing with it, 
the best description I heard because I, I couldn't understand why. You know, to me, PTSD, the first time they told me about it was something Vietnam vets dealt with. Well, I was never a veteran. I, I don't have PTSD. You know, it, I was never in combat. Um, so I kind of brushed it away. But later on, the second time I dealt with it, it was explained to me as a glass of empty glass of water. And every time you have stress in your life, good stress, bad stress, you add water. Sometimes it's a thimble full. Sometimes it's a, you know, a cup full. Sometimes somebody just takes a pitcher and just overflows that cup and it hits you and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, you can keep that glass at a lower level by healthy, healthy eating, uh, healthy lifestyle, getting enough sleep, counseling, you know, whatever you need to keep that glass from overflowing. Um, and then uh, later I dealt with it. Uh, before I left the town, I lost one of my lieutenants at a fire that 20 different circumstances happened. I contributed to one of them. So for a long time, I blamed myself. And, and then I was one of the first ones upon them and couldn't save them. So I blamed myself for that for a long time. Um, and then uh, when I got to the other department, it was just the, the combination, the, the glass overflowed for me. And um, so I, I hit rock bottom, you know, it took me about eight, six or eight months to climb back out and, you know, uh, counseling, um, medication, um, talking to people, a lot of people um, just going, you know, digging deep and, you know, going back to the loss of my father, you know, uh, was was one of the stressors over the years growing up without a dad. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, if, if any of the stuff I say can help somebody, you know, like my brother would always question me, you know, Jesus Christ, John, you blocked Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, you know, get over it, you know, be a man. And I'm like, if it were that easy, Frank, don't you think I would? And so I struggled with it. You know, it was hard. Um, and eventually I climbed out of that hole. Um, uh, like I tell people, you know, I, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it took eight months to get to the other end. And, you know, sometimes that light, you know, you think it might be another train. So you turn around and go the other way. But uh, you got to trust that if you're doing all the right things, eventually you're going to get out of that tunnel. And that light is nothing that you need to be afraid of run the other way. Um, so I got a question for you. Yeah. you. You brought up a very valid point about how you would get told, well, you kidding me? You played in the NFL. You, you played against some of the greats in the military. A lot of times we say you're in the military, get over it, or come on, you're this career field, get over it. So uh, I, I guess my question for you is a lot of times we kind of brush that off, but like, how did you come to terms with the fact that I may be struggling from PTSD? Um, I, I, well, I mean, I knew something was wrong because it, it didn't go away. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, we all have de down days, down weeks, whatever. And this just didn't go away. You know, I thought a week went by, a month went by, two months went by. And finally I'm like, I, I got to get some help. You know, I, I had some medical people in the family suggest that, you know, I was, I needed to, to get some help with it that, it, you know, I wasn't getting better on my own. And so that's what I, I sought out. Um, uh, I found uh, a counselor who would actually knew people that uh, died on 9-11. He was from New York. And so part of the problem also was, you know, I never got over the loss of, uh, you know, all my brothers, our brothers that died on 9-11. And um, 
So he was able to help, you know, he under, he wasn't a fireman, but he wasn't, you know, I know sometimes military don't like going to non-military personnel because they don't think they can understand them. Firemen and cops are the same way. You know, how can you tell me how to get better if you don't know what I've been through? And sometimes there are people that didn't live through what we lived through. And even, even us, I mean, Jonathan and I are both firemen, but we've had different experiences. Um, he may deal with things one way. I deal with them another way. Well, uh, the military is even a bigger family. You know, I mean, you know, we got hundreds of thousands. You guys have millions. And each one of your experiences are different. And you can have two siblings, twins, enlist at the same time and go through similar things. And they're still going to uh, deal with it in different ways. Um, you know, um, it's just... Uh, the, the big thing, I, if I could stress to any of those out there suffering is, is get help. Talk to somebody. Um, alcohol and drugs are not the solution. And that includes sometimes even prescription drugs. There's different dosages. They'll experiment, you know, try different things, you know, uh, with the prescription drugs. Um, they might work. They might not work. But definitely self, I should say self-medication is not the answer. Talk to somebody, whether it's just a loved one or a professional, and uh, don't don't think you're suffering. You know, you're the only one that's ever dealt with this. Um, I could tell you. I mean, I never thought it would happen to me, and it did. And uh, I got through it. So for those of you suffering out there, you can get through it too. Appreciate you sharing that. Sure, sure. Awesome, John. I didn't I didn't know the lieutenant story. We never got to that when we were talking and met in Chicago. But uh, one question I have for you, Kate, because we're part of Emerging Vets and Players and we have these deep conversations and they're really good. If you were wearing emerging or an MVP shirt right now and someone came up to you and asked you, what, and what is MVP, what would you say? Um, I would describe it as a um, outreach program to combine the experiences of, of veterans and professional athletes since we have a lot of similar um, life experiences um you know where we train our whole lives for one thing and um usually we it ends the same way for both of us you know when they're done with us they kick you to the curb and and say see ya um sometimes it's we have a little more say so in it sometimes we have no say so in it um the whole brain injury thing uh, tbis and and stuff like that both the vets and and professional athletes deal with that you know um that leads to anxiety and stress and trauma and, and uh, uh forgetfulness and and things like that so there, there's a lot of um similarities between granted you know we were never shot at and blown up but you know we did experience a lot of physical trauma um you know, some might say getting hit by Singletary or Hampton's equivalent of getting, uh, you know, blown up by by something. But um, so there, there's and the camaraderie, also the sense of team. Um, you know, you guys function as a unit, a team. So do we. You know, as great as Walter Payton was, he never won a Super Bowl until that defense gelled and McMahon got there. And then when you're done playing, uh, you know, for me, I was lucky enough to fall into another team being the fire department. Um, a lot of guys, both athletes and, and military don't have that opportunity or luxury or whatever, you know, they they get out of the service, whatever their last 
location was and you know maybe they don't want to go back to their town maybe you know that where they're from maybe they want to stay where they're at or go somewhere else and you know they do that usually with nobody no support system and mvp is just that a night a great support system for uh, uh those especially just getting out of service or been out for a while and haven't haven't been able to connect the way they used to when they were in the service. You hit the nail on the head with something you said a couple of times and just recently talked to Shay Sparks and she was talking about PTSD as well and how the big misconception with a lot of people is, well, I'm not a war veteran. I'm not, I don't have military experience, but it could be anybody, any walk of life uh, can be yep. suffering from it. Well, and again, too, you know, you, you see people, their persona, the, the outward appearance, and you walk down the street and every, everybody looks like they got their shit together. You know, you don't, everything's fine. And then you start talking, we start talking about it. It's like, wow, I never would have guessed that that guy had been through all that. Yeah. And, you know, um, it makes you feel, it's like, so I'm not alone. You know, um, you know, I'm not the only one that feels that way or been through that. And I think that's, that's helps the guys a lot to realize that they're not alone. Yeah, and girls. I, Is there any last parting words? No, I, I, this has been great. You know, I, like I said, my girlfriend tells me all the time, you tell people too much. You, you talk too much. It's like there's one subject I know more about than any other subject, my life. You know, people are interested. For years, I didn't talk. Again, when I washed my hands in the NFL, I didn't talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I started going to functions, people would ask story. Well, what about this? What about that? I'm like, wow, like, I'm retro and it's like, cool. People want to hear about this stuff. So now, you know, I, when people ask, I don't normally volunteer the stories, but if people ask, you know, sometimes they have to shut me up. Cause it's like, well, we only have so much time, John. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's, I got, a, I got part two for you sometime if you ever want. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to hear more, more Walter Pay. I want to hear more bear stuff. And I know he wants to talk more <laughs> fire with you. So Absolutely. No, thank you, sir, for taking time to do this. This was a, you know, me as a sports fan, Batista with his fire background. Um, this, this was, like you said, that peanut butter jelly sandwich here. It was, it was a perfect mix. And I uh, thought you had a pretty powerful message there as well. Folks, that is going to conclude this episode. Uh, Batista, you got any last comments? Thank you, John Janata, for taking time to join us on this episode of the Shadows Podcast Bowl. Stay tuned tomorrow for two inspirational individuals. They're both professional military educators teaching Airman Leadership School in the United States Air Force, Lucretia and Connor Bocanegra, as they share their story with each and every one of you. Also, March 4th, the Shadows Podcast invites you to join us as we think on some of life's most common and yet not so common quandaries. We will seek out the people who have all the answers and present full lessons explaining the specifics about the questions. Everything from healthy living to developing your emotional intelligence to understanding your loudest voice and capitalizing on becoming a better you. The Shadows Podcast presents Ignite, a brand new segment hosted by Caleb Pearson. He will be joined by myself, Trip Bodenheimer, providing a master lesson on anything you've ever wondered or wanted to dive into. Help us out with our content and our guests. If you have anything you'd like to have a lesson on, or you know someone who contains the knowledge to impart that you feel should be out of the world, 
hit us up on our Facebook page and just leave us a comment. It's time to say goodbye. However, here we don't say goodbyes. We say hello to a new story. That new story will be told next week on the Shadows Podcast.